It's the end of an era in Seattle. As Pete Carroll and the Seahawks parted ways after the most successful tenure in franchise history. ESPN's Mina Kimes joins us to discuss the impact Pete had, what it means for Seattle, and what comes next. Let's light them up. I'm Jackson Bevins, and this is Cigar Thoughts. Welcome back to the Cigar Lounge. I am Jackson Bevins, and along with my dear friend and producer, Mike Barwin, this is the Cigar Thoughts Podcast. Mike, how are we doing today? <sighs> yeah. <laughs> it's, been, it's been a whole lot of thousand-yard stares uh, over the last 24 hours, Jackson, but... Um, you know, it's kind of hard to wrap your head around the fact that the Pete Carroll era in Seattle is officially finished, but here we are. How are you doing, man? I'm doing okay. You know, um, I'm sad. I'm also excited. Yeah. Because what we've known for the last decade and a half has been really good. It also hasn't been good enough for a while. Mm-hmm. And in that regard... There's a part of me that's excited to gamble that what comes next can be better. Sure. Yeah, I mean that's we're plunging into a whole new frontier. We are engaging in a full-blown coaching carousel for the first time in a decade and a half, you know. Totally. It's 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 new territory and the the potential for a new spin on what I think you and I can agree uh is a pretty exciting roster like there there are some pieces there that should get you excited as a seahawks fan it's going to be cool seeing who they choose to be the architect or at least the partner um slash understudy to john schneider right uh in in helping that roster hopefully achieve more than they have in the past few years yeah yeah it's you know normally in this part of our discussion i've got like a really strong opinion in terms of what I think should happen. And for the longest time, it's been mostly status quo. Like, of course I've wanted to see changes in certain things, but the feeling of just tearing it all down and starting anew, like you flirt with it, but I've never really wanted it. And now it's here. And the good news is, is I mean, usually if you're looking for a new head coach, it's because you sucked. The last season and it's the whole darker you know <laughs> it's darkest before the dawn type of sure. approach to this i don't actually feel that way this is a team that has won 18 games over the last two years that made the playoffs in 2022 and missed it on a tiebreaker this year you know like i gotta think as a head coach this is a pretty attractive situation yeah yeah, and I don't know if we're going to get too much into that final game of the season, but uh, just as a quick interjection here, I feel like Matt Prater should be investigated for like, <laughs> some sort of uh, fraud or yeah. something. No, like we need no to get the kidding. SEC on this guy. Like uh-huh. there's some sort of like Swiss bank accounts involved that you know that Marvin Harrison Jr. I was just going to say up in Arizona, he's <laughs> he's going to get. Yeah, they were like, hey, you're going to get five percent of Marvin Harrison Jr.'s career Marvin earnings Harrison if you Sr. miss these was in kicks. His DM saying some pretty aggressive things. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it just would have been so sad if it ended with Prater making that kick. And that was like kind of the final moment. Pete Carroll's tenure instead, he, it ends up being that his final call was eschewing the game tying extra point and going for two and getting it. It was just, it just felt like the perfect ending. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, two years ago, when the Seahawks traded Russell Wilson to the Denver Broncos. If in that moment, the reaction that we felt to that trade going down, you would have told yourself, Pete Carroll is going to unequivocally win this breakup in the eyes of the public. And the Seahawks are going to have two consecutive winning seasons. They're going to make the playoffs in one of them. I think you'd be pretty damn thrilled. And then if you, after that, told me that Pete Carroll is going to get fired after that, after year two of what I think we can agree is a fairly successful retooling, but also not quite what we need it to be. 
Yeah. It's, it's a lot to process, man. It's two divorces in two years. Yeah. Yeah. The two yeah. biggest yeah. in the what 46 year history of this franchise, half a century. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the two biggest splits ever just happened with everything that we know with how the defense has performed, how he's had his hands in it, how everything has unfolded since that point that Russell Wilson was traded. Do you think that Pete earned or deserved or however you want to look at it a third year to see how everything looks with, I, if Pete was still here, I think it would still be Gino starting. Uh, obviously that sure. is maybe more up in the air now than it was, but do you think that Pete deserved that third year after the retooling began? Deserved? Yes. Is it the optimal? I don't know. I don't know. Um, there was never going to be an easy exit no. point for the Pete Carroll. There never is. You know, it's like it was really, really good. The relationship was good. And it's a, it's, it's a little bit of like a default to compare this to like a romantic relationship. But even on a professional level, it's like if you've worked at a job for a long time and you've really established yourself as a performer in that job, at some point, and I've, I've been both employee and employer in my life, and seeing this from both sides, like I get it. I get it from both sides. Yeah, There's got to be a part of Pete Carroll that if he wants to keep coaching, and that's the vibe I got from his post-game press conference, like that fire is still there. It probably always will be. You know, that guy's going to live till he's 120 and he'd probably coach till he's 120 if he can. It feels that way. But entering the first off season of honestly the last 40 years of his life without knowing exactly what is coming next or knowing that like he's in full control of what comes next. Maybe just time with Glenna. Like when he cried in the press conference, I cried watching. Got misty over here. Because... I I transported myself 30 years into my future thinking about Paulina. Like I married the best person that I've ever met in my life. And like my goal <laughs> every day is to justify her decision to marry me. And <laughs> your takes make it pretty difficult sometimes. But. <laughs> I know, I know, right. Right, exactly. I I'm like misting up right now. I'm 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 sad yeah. like I'm I'm excited but I am sad and not in that like oh we're making a huge mistake it's never going to get better it's just moving on's bittersweet it it is and one thing that I'm proud of is I focus on appreciating things that are good when they're here and I think that mostly I did that while P Carroll was here but man, <laughs> there's also a decent chance that like in the next nine to 12 months, I'm going to be kicking myself for all the things that I got frustrated with too. You know what yeah. I'm saying? Yep. That, uh, that Monday through Saturday is going to loom large depending on, uh, how the next year plus transpires. But I mean, here, here's the deal since, since I've been like old enough to really like pay attention to who was coaching my favorite teams, between, you know, I'm I was I've been a, a Trailblazers fan my whole life, even when the Sonics were here. Been Mariners fan, been a Seahawks fan, UW fan. There have been dozens of coaches, dozens of them that have come and gone, and they come and go, and it's okay. Yeah, it was sad when Mike Holmgren stepped down. Sad when Lou Pinella stepped down, but like for the most part, you're like, okay, yeah, all right. This is this is the natural life cycle. I've never been hit like this. No. And, you know, uh, that's what I was writing about in that article I posted last night. Like, I I teared up writing it, and that wasn't my goal at all. But as I was, like, about to sign off on my last article of the Pete Carroll era, because I started writing about the Seahawks for field goals during Pete Carroll's first year as a coach. Like, my faint shadow of a career compared to Pete's lines up with his tenure in Seattle 
completely and it's like it's different now so yeah man i'm and i have I'm some feeling unfortunate it. views you're also fired so congrats <laughs> on your on your next era as well oh <laughs> uh, oh man there's there's some people listening who are probably not sad to hear that no honestly like <laughs> yeah. i i am i am excited about the transition that's the thing it's like you know my, my mom told me something when i was in my 20s that's always stuck with me it was maybe the nicest thing anyone's ever said about me but um she said you know one thing that's always stood out about you is you got every single drop out of each chapter of your life before you move to the next one and i I, and i feel like i got every drop out of the pete carroll experience but it is time head Mm -hmm. versus heart it is time and uh and there's a part of me that's really excited to see what comes next no doubt no doubt i think the thing that i've been thinking about a lot is and again the decision it's understandable you know it it probably was time i am bummed that pete carroll and devin witherspoon don't get to spend at least i know man they're just a perfect fit they're a perfect fit and the way that he was waxing about him after the draft he like compared him to troy palomalu like right after they drafted him he'd never touched grass and it was just yeah it's tough now you texted me that yesterday and 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 i felt it and Listen, the Seahawks have made big moves before. You know, hiring Mike Holmgren, like I said, Mike Holmgren leaving the Russell Wilson trade, decisions regarding the LOB era players. But somehow this one feels bigger than all the rest. And we'll dive into it with Mina in a moment. But real quick, if you're listening or watching us right now, it's hopefully because you like the show. And if you like the show, there are a few ways that you can support it. If you're on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, Take a couple seconds to leave us a five-star rating. And if you're feeling super supportive, a quick review as well, you can do that right now. You can also subscribe to our YouTube channel where you'll find full video episodes, entertaining clips, and the audio reads of every Cigar Thoughts article. This is probably the best way to help the show grow, and growth is going to enable us to bring more of our football discourse your way, so we're grateful for the few seconds it takes to like and subscribe. We're also thrilled to have the awesome partnership with Westland Distillery in Seattle, which is my favorite local whiskey maker. If you're watching on YouTube, you'll see me enjoying a glass of their single cask, barrel number 6554, which combines a smooth sipping experience and tons of flavor. Westland is an American single malt whiskey distillery in the Soto neighborhood of Seattle. Their tasting room and bar are open to the public where they serve whiskey flights, cocktails, and small plates. There's a bottle shop on site featuring distillery exclusive releases and more located at 2931 First Avenue, a little over a mile south of Lumen Field. And as I've mentioned before, their Garyana number eight was just named the number three whiskey in the entire world by Whiskey Advocate. Needless to say, I'm stoked to be working with them. And one of the reasons I love their whiskey so much is that they're excellent pairings with a good cigar. And speaking of, as you know, we do have our own special release of cigars that you can purchase at a terrific price as a listener of the show. Until now, you've been able to order your own bundle of 10 for just $169, which is less than half of what this blend sells for in cigars on the open market. A number of you sent us pictures of the Cigar Thought Stogies that you either gave or received as gifts, which is just awesome. And because it's the holiday season and we're coming out of it, We lowered the price to just $149, and we've decided to keep it there for a while. That's right, just $149 for a bundle of 10. As many of you know, we partnered with one of the most prestigious cigar manufacturers in the world to release these official Cigar Thoughts cigars, which you can order directly from CigarThoughtsNFL.com. Just follow the link on the show page to get these easy-to-smoke stogies rolled with 13-year-aged premium Dominican tobacco leaf, or hit us up on Twitter or Instagram, and we'll send you the details directly. And the cigars, they come with a Bavita humidification pack and a Mylar storage bag to make sure they stay fresh whether you have a humidor or not. Listen, man, you know that old gif? It's like a black and white reel of some circus performer getting <laughs> shot point blank in the stomach by a cannonball? That's what I felt like when I heard the news that Pete Carroll was out as head coach. Yeah. I had just wrapped up a meeting with a client and my phone was practically melting through the table. <laughs> there were such wonderful people to talk with. I'm just like, what is going on? Uh, <laughs> now, we've all had about 24 hours since then to process the news. 
And last night, I found myself writing maybe the most heartfelt piece of my life, just reliving the Pete Carroll experience and really examining the impact it had on me, not just as a Seahawks fan, but as a man, as a husband, as a professional. And if those of you listening want to read it, you can find it on fieldgoals.com. It's titled Pete Carroll, One of One. But I am just one of millions whose lives were affected by Pete Carroll, and I couldn't be happier to be joined by someone who can relate. She needs no introduction, but I'm going to give her one anyway. She is one of the brightest stars in all of sports media, and I am proud to call her a friend. She's a staple on air at ESPN and the host of the wonderful Mina Kimes show featuring Lenny. She is Mina Kimes. Mina, thank you for coming in during what must be a whirlwind couple of days for you. You didn't introduce me as the uh, semifinalist in our fantasy league, second place finisher, uh, <laughs> one time champion, first time All right. champion, inaugural champion right. is how I like to be. Right yeah, here. yeah, 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 yeah. You ass. were your team was so fraudulent this year. I know. I was. You're like uh, sixth in scoring. Yeah, get out of here. It, I, I was the 22 <laughs> Vikings of our league, and it really caught up with me at the end. It always does. The numbers <laughs> never lie. <laughs> it did. Yeah, it's not totally, great. totally. But I got to, I got to tip my hat. I got to tip my hat. You, you put together Tyler a good team. Walking. every year you should for nothing Just do it for a living it's good to catch up jackson i loved your piece i just finished it i just read our friend danny kelly's piece as well it was very good it's um it's a complicated moment because and i and we've been talking about this for the last 24 hours in our text thread and i think a lot of seahawks fans have been kind of processing this as well there's i have mixed feelings about it i think mm-hmm. there's um I have mixed feelings about the decision. I don't have mixed feelings about Pete Carroll's tenure in Seattle, which was undeniably a massive success. Um, and we could discuss that as well. But as far as like the wisdom of the dis- this decision, what's next for Seattle, that I do, I- I'm still working through my thoughts. So I'm excited to be here to talk to you about it. Cool. Yeah, we we are too. And you know, it's funny when you and I initially talked about you coming on, I think we both thought we'd spend most of the time recapping the season, yeah. looking ahead to what moves Seattle might make next. And and we're going to do that. But then the Seahawks tossed a grenade into the room and our phones exploded with the news that Pete Carroll was no longer going to be the head coach of the Seahawks. What was your first reaction when you heard? I was shocked. I didn't think they were going to do it. And, and mm-hmm. Obviously, you know, missing the playoffs, missing the playoffs the way they did largely because of the defense, I had questions about whether they could fix the problems that plagued them this season and whether Pete Carroll was the right person to make those fixes mm-hmm. based on what's happened in the last few years. But because of his a combination of things, his track record in Seattle, and then, you know, the his record with the owner, Jody Allen, seemed like they were in lockstep most of the time. Obviously, the dis, you know the trade of Russell Wilson right. reflected that. Um, and then you know there, there hadn't been whispers of this. There were there were some reports like uh, Pete Carroll might be retiring. Like there was a little bit of that, but I I didn't see or hear anything in the way of like oh ownership's unhappy the way. You know, with Bill Belichick, we've been hearing it all season, and right. so it kind of felt inevitable. Um, that wasn't the case with this, so I was surprised. Um, yeah, it just it took me, it, it shocked me when it happened. Yeah, you know, every off season since like 2018, really, we've all kind of wondered about moving on from Carol. But if you're anything like me, it always felt very hypothetical. Now it's real, and as hard as it is to say, the Pete Carroll era is now behind us. But as you look back over the last 14 years, and it really is crazy for a head coach in the modern NFL to be around for 14 years, what are some moments or memories that stick out to you about his time here? Um, I think the most Pete Carroll season, even though it wasn't even close to being one of his most successful seasons, was maybe the two, last one before the Russell Wilson mm-hmm. era began. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, Beast Quake was the year before that, I believe. But the watching the formation of the Legion of Boom, um, which you know started in I guess 2010, right? It was really mm-hmm. when that began. And then you know, you're, you you add Earl Thomas, you add uh, Cam Chancellor and R- Richard Sherman and, and Brandon Browner and all of it, and kind of comes together. Um, I don't think people who didn't watch the NFL closely then will understand 
how not just how impactful that defense was, but how unique of an experience it was to watch them. Uh, Jackson, I, I'm sure you can relate to this. Like I used to be excited when our defense took the field because yeah. they played with like a level of physicality and uh, a style and a swagger that was um, not something I had seen before on the Seahawks team. And obviously very different from what we see now. Uh, and, and, and I think they really, that embodied Pete's philosophy. It embodied not just his philosophy as a, um, a, a, a schematic mind, as a play caller, uh, as, a, as a coach. But also, well, I would say as a coach, because, you know, the thing people sometimes forget about the Legion of Boom is like, Will Thomas was the only first round draft pick, mm-hmm. right? So like, it embodied his always compete philosophy, which is like, we, I will give every player a chance to make this team and then I will coach them up. And that, that unit reflected that. Um, and then culturally just, I think just like his identity as a coach was kind of manifested through that unit. So that really jumps out to me. And then I'll say that the other thing that really, um, and I know I'm skipping past the entire Russell Wilson era because I'm doing before and after, and there's a lot of moments from the Russell course, Wilson era that jump out. But uh, I mean, a lot of the interactions with Jim Harbaugh during that rivalry were incredible. What's um, your deal, man? <laughs> what's your deal, man? I mean, come on. That, people, again, today's kids will never understand how much those guys, those coaches hated each other. The teams hated each other. Uh, yeah, it was amazing. It was an amazing rivalry. And then, uh, but then I'll add one more recent one, which is the um, the first the Russ return with Geno Smith. Oh, and again, goodness. this is another example of the always compete philosophy, which is you know Pete letting. Geno Smith win that job and trusting him with it. And Mm -hmm. he paid off big time with that signature win. That was a signature win. So yeah, there's a lot of great memories, but those, those are ones that stand out to me. Those are really good ones. I'm I'm really glad you mentioned about the excitement of watching the defense because, you know, it's like, you and I were both Mariners fans, right? And it's normally we've got like, John Halama pitching or whoever, you're just like, just get us through the inning. I want to see yeah. my guys hit. I want to get the get the offense back up there. But if Felix was pitching or if Randy Johnson was pitching, yeah. you were like stoked about the Mariners being in the field. That's how I felt during the LOB era. It was like watching Felix pitch every single game. And, you know, it was about 2016 where this feeling started to shift and I actually became aware of it. It was something that I felt, but had never put words to before then was every time that I would see like 2000, really 2011, like from the moment that rookie Richard Sherman called hall of famer, AJ green, a lot of noise and bad routes. I was like, Oh shit, we got, (laughs) we got something here. Every time you would see the opposing quarterback drop back and tilt his shoulders. Like he's going deep. I was like, Hell yeah, because I yeah. felt like it was just as likely that a Seahawk was going to catch that pass as it was the intended receiver. And then that is not the case, obviously, anymore. I'm so glad you brought that up because I don't know how many fans of teams in the modern NFL have ever really had that experience. You know, for me, there's there's so many Pete Carroll memories. And there's, you know, I as I was writing that piece yesterday... I mean, it could have been, it's 3,000 words. It could have been 30,000 words. But one that, as I was kind of retracing the steps that stood out to me was during Super Bowl 48. And of course, we were up, Mike and I were talking about it right before you get on the air. We're just, our stomachs is in a knot. It's just the biggest game ever. It just even, it even felt bigger than Super Bowl 40. Mm-hmm. And they, they get past, we're past the Percy Harvin touchdown return. We're all kind of popping the champagne. And Pete, you know, most coaches, even if it's a blowout win in the biggest game ever, they're still just looking sourpussed, you know, all stern and focused until the final gun sounds. And they're like surprised by the Gatorade bath and all these things. And I get it. Like they're staying locked in. Pete Carroll is on the sideline joking with Marshawn Lynch talking about, are we allowed to score more points? Coach, you think it's okay if we score more points? And Pete's like, I don't know. You want to score some more points? And I was like, this dude is just in the moment, like a hundred percent. And you know, one of the things I wrote last night is I've always wanted to believe that joy is something more than just the result of success, that it can be the cause of success. And with Pete Carroll, the joy is the reason they were successful. And I always really admired that about him. That's really well said. Yeah. I mean, he makes 
coaching actually look fun and not like misery? I think um, <laughs> Mike McDaniel in Miami has a similar quality, he oddly, because yeah. they're very different people and very different styles and all that, or different uh, um, impacts on on teams. But when you watch him and you watch footage of him, you see that similar like twinkle in his eye, the delight of celebrating players. And MP mentioned that in his final press conference. You, the NFL is about the players, that yeah. players are what make the league special and, and make it sing. And I think he actually embodied that in a co- as a coach in a way that we don't see a lot of. Totally, totally. I mean, Pete Carroll is unique in an almost innumerable amount of ways. But one thing that becomes very pertinent now is that he wasn't just the head coach. I mean, Pete Carroll was the vice president of football operations and the de facto CEO of what is essentially a Fortune 500 company. Now, maybe he sticks around in some sort of advisory or C-suite role, but that's not the feeling I got watching that press conference. Talk to me about what replacing Pete Carroll really means and what type of person is the best fit trying to fill those shoes. Yeah, it it is going to be really interesting to see what his role is. And I think that might also have an impact on the job, who fills it, the desirability of it. Um, And to your point, his involvement in roster construction was real. I think it's part of the reason probably why, similar to Bill Belichick. um, Yes. He is no longer the head coach because, you know, we can talk about, I mean, it's pretty simple. It doesn't take a lot to explain because this is a team that has been successful in recent years, missed playoffs here and there, made it some years, but the defense has been bad now for Mm -hmm. several years. Yeah. But the defense isn't just bad because of coaching, execution, whatever. The roster construction has flaws and Carroll has been given resources to fix it. They have, you know, had early draft picks, latest draft, obviously, trades, the Jamal Adams trade, the Leonard Williams trade. And we on the outside will never know uh, exactly how much of that can be attributed to Carroll versus Schneider and whether there was disagreement, whether these moves were led by one or the other. But because of the failure of that unit, I think um, Carroll ultimately probably took a lot of blame for it and, and fairly so. So you asked about the job. Um, it's funny because I just showed you I made this like little board. Let's see it. Let's see it. The video audience. <laughs> it's for my YouTube where I was ranking all the um, jobs by quarterback roster and I wrote et cetera, like ownership, vibes. Right. And Seattle ended up ranking very high. I actually ended up with the commanders higher just because that's kind of like a blank slate job. You get to come in and, and completely Fair. build that team in your image and the new ownership is desirable. Seattle, I think... Um, it, it, I do think that they underperformed relative to their talent level on both offense and defense. I do think it's a good roster. Uh, I think a ding on it is you, I wouldn't want to play in that division with uh, Shanahan and McVay, frankly. That's fair. I think that's that's the challenge, and those teams are obviously very good. Um, but it is desirable. Like I, I think the, there's a couple questions, one of which is, does the new coach want to stick with Geno Smith? I would. I, I don't think Seattle, it's a fair, I, I think it's pretty unlikely that Seattle would upgrade at the quarterback position. Maybe if they want to take a shot in the draft, um, you know, mm-hmm. I, I wouldn't object to that, but I do think Gino should be the quarterback next year. But I think, you know, y- y- the question is like, okay, well, what is it going to take to fix this defense? Is it a talent thing? Is it a coaching thing? Do we need a schematic shift? Carol tried a bunch of different schemes. That is something else that the coach has to figure out. I, I don't think that it really is um, – it has to be an offensive or a defensive coach, uh, part because you have the experienced quarterback. So it's not like, oh, we need to bring in a guy who can, like, you know, raise this young pup and call this perfect offense. Um, but I think y- you'd like to see some innovation on both sides of the ball um, from where we they were this year. Um, yeah. I will say this, Jackson, it is very hard to project success for head coaches in the NFL. I have been wrong. I've been proven wrong. I have been surprised pleasantly by guys. You know, I mean, Dan Campbell, I I, I wasn't like a big anti-Dan Campbell person, but when the Lions hired him, I was like, really? That guy? Yeah. All right. You know, I mean, yep. it kind of struck me by surprise. I think he's been phenomenal for yes, them. Yes, So, so for Seattle... I think there's a lot of good options out there. I know Dan Quinn is the name who's been thrown around a lot. And I'll start by saying, um, I don't think that would be a bad decision 
I know that there's a little bit of um, skepticism because it feels like more of the same. I get that, but I, I think it's worth noting, and, and we talked about this, Dan Campbell has really evolved his defense yeah. in Dallas. They've they've done very, it's very different from what it was in Seattle, and he's tried a bunch of different things, and he's been very creative. Uh, and I think, um, you know, could do the same in Seattle. I think he's a great teacher, beloved by players. Didn't have success ultimately, you know, as, as a head coach, which I mean, he, he did make it to the Super Bowl. So like that, that isn't yeah. totally unsuccessful. Right. I don't think that would be a miss, but I would be thrilled if they went with one of the hotshot coordinators, Ben Johnson, Mike okay. McDonald too. Okay. So yeah, I do. I do want to ask you that because there are a dozen or more names that are being floated as Pete's successor. And again, it's all hypothetical at this point. At least I haven't heard anything about like inside track, someone having more traction than someone else. But there are also a number of other head coaching jobs available. Like you said, the commander's job has its attraction. I think the Atlanta job has some real attraction. Um, the Chargers would be a high-profile opportunity for somebody. You've got a great quarterback. It's L.A. Give me the top three or four names that you most want to have as Seattle's head coach. And then tell us who you think is the most likely. Well, let me start here. This won't happen, but like I would take Bill Belichick. Uh, would you? Somebody who I think could fix that would be so defense. different culture. Well, I mean, Dude. you talk about revamping the culture. I know, I know. but let me say uh, first of all, two things about Belichick. Players don't like love him the way they love Pete Carroll. But I have talked. Michael Bennett, uh, who loves Pete, also told me he enjoyed he he sure uh, he likes Bill Belichick. Like I I, I just um. I don't think he's like, he's not like a hardo the way a lot of his uh, successors <laughs> proved to be in the NFL. Yeah. Uh, I think he would be a good choice because if there's, you know, we're talking about people who can fix that defense. Holy smokes, that guy. I mean, yeah. as bad as the Patriots offense has been, the defense has continued to be one of the best in the NFL. They actually finished this year top 10 in like every metric, despite the fact that they lost their best pass rusher and young corner. So like, yeah. You know that that would be fine, fine with me. Okay, um, all right. I I would be I a, I, I'd be a little I'd be a little bit bummed. <laughs> it was Belichick, dude. I, the I think so. Coach in NFL history. Well, totally. They're not going to do it, so we can just throw it. Okay, it's not going to happen. Okay, yeah, no we don't got to spend it's a lot not, of time. If it happens, if it happens, we'll talk we'll talk more about that. That's interesting that you'd be that you'd be on board with that. So okay, so we got Belichick as as one of the guys you'd be stoked about. You mentioned the hotshot coordinators. Give me some specific names. Both of Ben Johnson and Mike McDonald. Those are my top two. Those are the top two. They should be the top two, you know, um, of outside of Harbaugh and Belichick and Vrabel, who are kind of also, you know, they're sort of in a different group. But um, I think uh, Ben Johnson, what he's done with that offense in Detroit, the way he has rebuilt Jared Goff to some extent, uh, his ability to call an offense not just around the skills of his players, which is they have a pretty unique group of skill players, but his uh, the way he sequences plays makes it's very McVeigh like the way he makes um, things look alike in mm-hmm. a way that I think he could do some really cool stuff in Seattle. And then Mike McDonald I think is right now the best defensive mind in football. I mean, he just you saw that with his performance. I mean, you know, with Seattle, so our, our, it's so it feels every year inevitable that Kyle Shanahan is just gonna you know rip through this defense. Well, he's a guy who shut down Kyle Shanahan, mm-hmm. shut down Mike McDaniel, like doesn't really get more impressive than that in the current NFL. Um, so those would be, I would choose those two probably over anyone, frankly. Harbaugh's too weird. <laughs> That'd be too weird. That would be, be so, so that would be so, so bizarre. And I actually, I actually don't hate it. And, and maybe me saying that is, uh, evoking a similar response in the listeners to what I had when you said Belichick, but I Har- Harbaugh Harbaugh is an interesting one. Who would you be most bummed about if you woke up tomorrow and found out that the Seahawks hired him as head coach of, of like the realistic options? Yeah. I'm trying to think because there's all the guys we mentioned, I wouldn't be that bummed about even Vrabel. Like, I don't think it's the right fit, but he's a really good coach. He'd probably, he probably, you know, he, they, I think I don't want another mud wrestler though. I know. I think he would fix the. De- I think he he could do some stuff. That defense has been pre creative in Tennessee, so I think that's something that I would be um, excited about. And I, and I like his mind, but uh, no. So he, I wouldn't be bummed about that. Um, trying to think of the, the names that I've seen who are actually getting interviews. I haven't seen anyone associated with Seattle that made me like really, really nervous. Um, 
Raheem Morris feels a little like Pete, although uh, mm-hmm. deserves a lot of credit for making that Rams defense play better than Seattle, even mm-hmm. though they're, it's literally guys who no one's ever heard of. So um, I do think he he's a really, really good coach, and I wouldn't I would be like horrified or anything. I just think it maybe isn't quite the change that they'd be looking for. Um, I don't know. What about you? Who have you seen any names that have? I haven't because there's the names in the cycle are so good that you're not they really are. seeing like they're, bad they're, names. They're really good. Um, yeah, you know, actually, I'm gonna de- I'm gonna defer to Mike here because he and I were kind of bandying this about a little bit. Uh, Mike, what are your thoughts on this? Uh, if Brandon Staley ends up the Seahawks coach, I'm <laughs> swan diving into a wood chip. A real name. Yeah, I haven't seen. I saw I saw Brian Johnson, the Eagles offensive coordinator, got a job, and the uh, replies were pretty funny. Let's get Matt Patricia in there. Fuck it. Yeah, there you go. There you go. I would be very bummed about Matt Patricia. I gotta look at the so, list of who else is being considered. Well, okay. So here's the thing: a couple of names that that have popped up that I think, certainly from a schematic standpoint, are interesting: uh, Brian Flores and Eric Bieniemy. Um, the challenge with those, they've they've had tremendous success in their roles as coordinators, yeah. and I think they will be head coaches at some point. There's some vibes challenges there, I think. Um, you know, there's at least some whispers about, and, and maybe it's just because the framework that I view this through is with such a player forward coach that we've had for so long. And we've seen the success of a coach just buying into his players. Yeah. But Brian Flores' time in Miami and his relationship with Tua, that was sounds straight up toxic. You know, you've heard some similar things with with Bienemy. I I would love to have either of those guys' schemes in Seattle. I wonder about their ability to run an entire program. And I'm I'm like you, if if we're just talking about on Sundays, like Sundays. Benny Johnson, Mike McDonald, those two are top of the list because I have so much faith in them schematically. But the thing that made Pete Carroll so successful is what he did Monday through Saturday. And someone who's never, like, I don't know anything about those guys' culture, at least with Dan Quinn. Like, to me, Dan Quinn is the B-plus hire. He's the one where I feel like he's not going to fail. Seattle is going to win. Their defense is going to be better. And to his credit, when he was a head coach, he got out of the way of the offense. He, you know, was fortunate to hire Kyle Shanahan, but like the Falcons kicked serious ass when Dan Quinn was there. Yeah. Yeah. I think with coaches like him, and I think Morris is probably similar. Now that I think about it, um, it, it, the offensive coordinator hire and, you know, every job in Seattle is, is open right now will be pretty significant. Um, so it's like, you know, whether it's Quinn, if it was Quinn or Morris, could they find their Bobby Slowick, you know, the oh guy my gosh, who, right. who they can pluck from? By the way, Slowick's the name. I'd be a little bit nervous about him and Dave Canales. And those are two names I think those, you're probably here associated with Seattle. Yeah, those were the two I was going to ask you about next. Literally those two, because yeah. the, the first odds came out on the Seahawks job. And, and I don't think, like a lot of times... Vegas is is based on some sort of insider knowledge. I think other times they throw out names and see where the money lands and then they move the lines. But when those those first names came out, Dan Quinn was even money. He was he was one to one to be the next head coach. And then Vrabel was two. And then Bobby Slowick was three. I would like to see more than one year out of both of those of, play callers. Yeah. And I, I the Houston offense. I mean, obviously, um, what he's done with Stroud is impressive, incredibly impressive. But I also don't. I I think Stroud is also responsible for a lot of what we're seeing there. Um, I just I just don't. I think it's just a little bit soon for both of those play callers. Yep, fair. It sounded yesterday in Pete's uh, press conference that he made it very clear that. He didn't want to stop coaching. So hypothetical here. You have your pick of the available jobs and you're slotting Pete Carroll in as the CEO of that organization as the head coach. Mina, what team are you pairing Pete with? Uh, I mean, the Chargers make probably the most sense because LA, Pete, there's a quarterback there. Defense needs to be fixed. 
Though, like I said, I, I don't even know if our defense fit, finished that much better than the Chargers defense when all well, of a sudden. Well, and, and culturally, frankly. the ties to the community. I mean, he started a better LA where yeah. he would literally hop in a van and go downtown and like meet with inner city kids and gang members and talk to them about life, you know, a $10 million yeah. head coach out there doing so, it. So he's got, he's got the connections. I, I'll be curious to see whether Pete stays coaching. I think right now it's kind of up in the air. Honestly, yeah. it seems like he was like sort of blindsided by all this. I mean, you know, both him and Bill Belichick being 72, um, you know, that has to factor into their decision-making as well. Um, yeah, I, that's the one that comes to mind. It's hard for me to imagine him with a rebuilding organization. And a lot of these teams, I'm looking at the jobs, they are rebuilds. I mean, mm -hmm. the Falcons are not. The Raiders are in a weird spot. Uh, the Patriots are not, but they're kind of in a weird spot. And I don't think succeeding Belichick is something that would, that there's a lot of, questions about that but like the panthers still very you know they're in still in the rebuild the titans are very much rebuilding nah yeah i mean outside i think maybe the falcons would be my second choice i guess yeah yeah it it's it's funny to imagine a relationship between pete carroll and dean spanos <laughs> with the chargers but who who knows and and here's the thing like shifting back to seattle whoever does get the gig has an interesting offseason ahead of them they the seahawks will pick 16th yeah. they're in neither a great or a terrible position cap wise and they're about to go in a different direction philosophically for better or worse but one thing that came out of Pete's final presser was the revelation that it's essentially John Schneider's show now. If you were in John's position, what are you prioritizing this offseason for the Seahawks? I think ideally he would work hand in glove with the new head coach to make sure they are calling a defense, building a defense with the right personnel. And I think when you look back at the last six years and some of the issues they've had with different schemes and and it has there have been personnel as it's it's an odd situation because there's talent on the defense but they've not lived up to the talent and i think a lot of times that's been because of a mismatch of scheme and personnel or holes you know that with the wrong players um i'll throw out like you know edge is an issue although you get no back and mafe flashed at times um corner ended up being a massive issue because of woolen's regression and the tackling problems but when i think about this division and i think about the rams and the niners they really really need off-ball linebacker i don't know what happens with jordan brooks unfortunately the injury stuff's real with yeah. him you know so he might be gone for that reason but i i mean i you just look at Baltimore and the way they prioritized that position trading for Roquan Smith and the impact that it had on that defense. And there's a lot of other good players on that defense, of course. No. But I think if they could find a really good off ball linebacker, that would go a long way towards making this defense more competitive specifically in the division. Yeah. You know, when you look at the players that have the most outsized impact on their team success in terms of like, if you move this player, one team to another it moves the needle it's obviously quarterback but then it's wide receiver and it's edge rusher slash off ball linebacker and seattle hasn't had that at that position you know they've they've had good quarterback play they've had great wide receiver play that thing has been missing and and let's just zero in on quarterback here for a minute quarterbacking is almost always going to be the point of discussion between seasons for almost every other team we now have a two-year sample with Geno Smith at the helm. And outside of Kirk Cousins, who, while I think he's a legitimately like an excellent quarterback, he's older, he's more expensive, he's coming off a major injury, and there isn't a lot available in free agency at that position this year. By contrast, the draft class is being heralded as unusually deep at quarterback and is headlined by a number of big names. So given what we've seen from Geno and considering his contract situation, how many QBs in this draft have to be off the board before you say, yeah, we're sticking with Geno? Or, or let me put it another way. Which QBs would need to be available at 16 or within a reasonable trade-up spot to take one this year? I still have to watch all of the QBs in depth, so that's a big caveat for me. I think probably the top three are the ones where you would want 
you would seriously consider moving on. So and that's I, William. That's Caleb Williams, Drake May, Jaden Daniels. Drake May, yes, and Jaden Daniels. And two of those three, I, I don't think they have any shot at. Jaden Daniels, increasingly, it seems like will go top five. So I, I think, think he's going to. He's going to be this year's Anthony Richardson. He's yeah. going to scream to the top of the board. My belief is that. Um, the Seahawks should just stick with Gino. I, I think he's firmly in that 10 to 15 range, maybe even like 9 to 13, to be honest. Totally um, agree. The stats and, certainly back yeah. that up. And the eye test, man. Like yes. the Steelers game to me is just such a perfect microcosm of this season. I, he played out of his mind. He was under constant pressure. He was stepping up, making crazy throws. Uh, pass protection was la- lacking. He and had godlike he, moments in that game. <laughs> The touchdown the defense, to JSN was an outrageously un- ballsy throw. Yeah, the defense collapsed. That was a mm-hmm. meltdown. Yeah, it was. Defense of absolute. I mean, just the broken tackles that, and the. It's just the defense's so performance ugly. in that game might have been the death knell for Pete Carroll. I I I think so because owners really don't like being embarrassed, and I thought that was an embarrassing game for mm-hmm. seattle i you know i just they had the chance they could have iced it i mean not iced it they'd have to win against arizona too but like the, they had control over their destiny yes. so anyways to go back to gino i would stick with him um i think he's at 31 million next year which that's right sounds like a lot but is actually not a lot in quarterback money these days nope. no, it's uh not. maybe you can even i would even potentially consider restructuring them although the contract obviously is super favorable now because they can get out of it at any time um you know worth taking a flyer um on a quarterback later i don't really know i haven't really spent time with the the later round names well then then let um, me ask you this yeah michael Penix is there at 16 i actually i this won't be popular with yeah i'm a huskies fan i am a little skeptical um okay yeah and i and i loved him as a college quarterback and maybe i'll change my mind but i think that there are concerns i have about his ability to be better than Gino, honestly. Mm-hmm. Well, it's funny, you know, in 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 our in our text thread, we were talking about this is gosh, this has got to be a month or two ago. We were talking about comps for Penix because Danny was writing him up, and I said he reminds me of Gino Smith coming out of college mm-hmm. if he wasn't a knucklehead. And he plays the game the same way. And it's like, well, if you already have that guy, <laughs> maybe, yeah. maybe you don't take the gamble. Yeah. And Right. And and honestly, he would have to develop certain aspects of his game to play the way Gino has the last couple of years, especially uh, the ability to throw to the middle of the field and some of the um, and Gino's accuracy. He's a very accurate quarterback. Uh, Penix, you know, has had a little bit of ups and downs at times. He, I mean, the dude has an absolute cannon attached to his shoulder and is a playmaker, too. But um he, you know, well, the draft process will be really interesting for him. It'll be interesting to see how much he gets dinged for playing with like an NFL receiver trio. Yeah, uh, he's a very fun player. I, I would love for him to be successful in the NFL. But, it, but as far as Seattle, the timeline, Geno, and and then more importantly, the other needs on this roster, uh, I that's not a direction that I would go in. Yeah, I I'm more bullish on Panics as a pro than you are, but I understand the concerns. I mean. <laughs> shit after the texas game he was going top five and then after the michigan game it's like yeah. kind of it, it kind of came back to earth a little bit michigan game they played michigan yeah. <laughs> right you know that 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 was tough to watch i it's interesting to me because we're not going to spend a ton of time on on Penix. maybe if if there's some smoke there over the next few months we'll we'll talk about it more but i i think that the ability to throw an accurate ball to the third level in college is the skill that is most indicative of NFL success. And I don't think anybody in college football was better at throwing to the third level than Michael Penix. He has limitations for sure elsewhere, but that's the piece that gives me, gives me hope. Listen, uh, Mina, before we get out of here and super grateful for your time, because I know how crazy your schedule is right now, but how are you feeling just all told stepping back and just looking at it as a whole? Yeah. How are you feeling about the Seahawks as someone who not only covers the NFL for a living, but who is rooted for this team your whole life? I'm really just intrigued right now. You know, we were kind of going through all the different phases in response to the Carol news. And especially watching that press conference, it was just like heartbreaking. And you go back to memories as you it, so eloquently did. It's tough. Yeah, I was like legitimately yeah. mad for 20 <laughs> straight minutes watching that press conference that he wasn't going to be the coach anymore. It's sad. 
However, Jackson, if he was the coach and you and I were having this conversation, would either of us have confidence that the team would take another step next year or fix some of the issues we're talking about? And, not, and look, not, this could backfire. Not with conviction. Yeah. It could backfire. They could hire the wrong guy. It could be worse. The events could be worse than what we've seen. But it did feel like some sort of change was necessary, and it was hard for me to imagine Pete rehauling his coaching staff in a way that would fix yes. some of the issues we've talked about. If we're talking head, not heart, it was time. It was time. Yeah. It's the heart that makes it hurt. I know. It's- I know. <laughs> tearing up talking with you about it right now oh man listen mina i said it at the top but i meant it we couldn't ask for a better person to talk about one of the biggest moments in this team's history than you thank you so much for taking the time thank you having me this was fun uh very curious to see what we do yeah i'll be tuning in (laughs) well we'll 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 have you back on and we'll see where we stand when that happens and Last thing, if there's anyone listening who for some reason doesn't already know where they can get more of you, where can they get more of you? Yeah, uh, the Mina Kimes show featuring Lenny is my podcast. We talked about Pete Carroll. We'll talk about whatever coach they end up hiring. Um, And then you can also watch it on YouTube and uh, that sort of chart I showed you. I'm making videos for YouTube now every week. One of the videos is ranking the coaching jobs. Seattle comes out pretty high in it. So you can check it out at youtube.com slash at Mina Kimes. All right, y'all, that's going to do it for a very emotional and very important edition of Cigar Thoughts. As always, you can find Mike and I on social media. I am on Twitter at at Jackson Bevins. That's J-A-C-S-O-N. Remember that no K is okay when spelling my name. Mike is on Twitter at at Mike Barwin, and the show itself is at Cigar Thoughts. You can catch full video episodes on our YouTube channel at Cigar Thoughts and find the rest of our socials at CigarThoughtsNFL.com. Of course, you can listen to this show and read every article, including the one I wrote last night, a tribute to Pete Carroll at fieldgoals.com. And if you're listening on Spotify or Apple Podcasts and you like the show, drop us a five-star rating and leave a quick review. Finally, be sure to check out cigarthoughtsnfl.com to get your exclusive Cigar Thought cigars or hit me up on Twitter and I'll shoot you the deets. When you buy those cigars, reach out like many of you have and tell us what you think. Thank you to all of y'all listening for your continued support of the show. We know you've only got so much time for podcasts in your life, and it's an honor to be a part of that for y'all. Please know that by sharing the show on social media and with your friends, you give us the juice to keep making this happen. We'll be back soon, but in the meantime, onwards and upwards, my friends. Mm-hmm.